they don't have structured classrooms in their high school. Their, their, their classrooms have two glass. Most of them have two, a couple of glass walls to where they can open them up. If it's enough, they have patios. So if you want to take your class outside to the patio, you can take your class outside. There are bar stools and rails. There are beanbag chairs. There's just no structure whatsoever. So they have really, you can combine classes just by opening up your glass doors. So if, if I'm a better uh, trigonometry teacher than you are, and we're both on pace, I can teach both classes my strength. You can have it when it's your strength. So it's going to change. It needs to change. It needs to evolve. But it's not going to. It's like the, you know, you don't have one-room schools anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's going to have to change. Yeah. What that change looks like is going to be interesting to see. But I don't think relying solely on remote is going to work. There are too many there are too many kids that don't have the discipline to do it. And they're, you know, mom and dad are both working. So we're, who's in charge, right? Where's, where's the oversight coming from? You don't get it from zoom. Yeah. My granddaughter goes to a nice public school in the North part of town. They were remote for the first two weeks. Her teacher came on the Zoom call the very first day. I don't know how to do remote learning. Here's the stuff. I'll see you. Click. Wow. Being paid. Yeah. What did she do? She didn't do anything. Yeah. And I know that for every one of those situations, there's somebody that's doing something terrific with it. Right. But. The terrific guys doing great and they should be applauded and everything, but you left 30 kids behind. Yep. In one, one class. So you do that times eight every day. It's unacceptable. Yeah. And we can't do that. And until you show me how we can keep the kids engaged at home on Zoom. Then you can talk to me. Yeah. But until then, no. But there's so much going on with school now. I mean, they're all on their phones all the time. It's just. Well, even with Maggie in college, right? I mean, here it was as I wanted. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. The podcast where we welcome business leaders, CEOs, and industry experts to discuss the rise to the top building wealth, and real estate insights. Here's your host, Jeremy Spann. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. And uh, for more information on this episode, you can go to myexperiencedrealtor.com, click on podcasts, and go down and click on 
Mark Shelton. To learn more about Mark Shelton here, Mark Shelton's episode, you can download these episodes on uh, your favorite platforms, whether it be YouTube, Spotify, Amazon, iTunes. So welcome to the show, Mark. How are you doing today? Oh, just wonderful. (laughs) I have been looking forward to this for so many months, dragging you in here, kicking and screaming before we start. That was one of us. It was one. No, you were kicking and screaming to yet to run away. To run away. I know yes. that's the reason, man. I had to. I had to. Matter of fact, I had to for the audience. I have a video of Mark that I had to threaten that I would put that video of Mark doing something really, really funny on YouTube, so that way the whole wide world would see it, unless he came in here. So, luckily, Mark came in here, and now, unfortunately for me, I'll never be able to post that video because I've probably used that one. That one. Thank goodness I finally got Mark Shelton in here. So thanks for coming, Mark. But before we do anything, James Van Hook, my father-in-law, says I got to start this off with a joke. So I got a joke for you. Ready? Ready. Okay. And I think this is fitting. How quiet is a bowling alley? How quiet is it? So quiet you can hear a pin drop. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> All right, here we go. Here we go. So for the audience, we're going to jump into what Mark does, but so that way the audience has an idea of who Mark is. is he's married to Sarah and my wife, Laura. And No, we, just to Sarah. Just to what I know. Not You're not married to Laura, smart Alec. Uh, you, you don't want to be married to Laura. She'll wear you out. Right. <laughs> so um, I can't very afford to have friends. her mad at me. You can't have her mad at me. <laughs> so Laura's been selling, long before I got into real estate, Laura's been selling houses to the Sheltons here for many years. How many houses did she sell you before I even came in the picture? I think she's done five or s- five. Five houses? Five. Five houses? I Man. believe it's been five. Five houses. And then I came into the picture and got to be a part of selling a couple. I think it's five total. Five total? I, I lose count, Jeremy. You lose count. Yeah. So I got to be a part of at least three of these. The one you had over there in Monticello. Okay. The Walsh one. We, that was a dream. Oh, we that don't talk about that, that one? That didn't happen. <laughs> and then now the one you're currently one. living in over there with uh, by Michael Dyke. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So... Anyhow, so that way the audience understands is not only has Mark and Sarah been a very good client, but also very good friends that we often go and do competitive events with each other. One of them being bowling. So that's the reason we did the bowling joke there. Right. So for for the audience, what is it that you do for your career that you've done for many, many years? Well, it started out in the engineering business. Okay. Had an engineering business that's been, I guess I was partners with a guy for 35 years. And I was learning the trade for five or 10 years before that. And he decided to retire. And I went into development and fee development and been doing that for the last six or eight and then for the audience, tell what is fee development? How is fee development different from regular development? Fee development 
<clears throat> it's not my money. <laughs> that's Even the, better. <laughs> that's the biggest part. Yeah. No, you got, you'll have investors that'll come in and they want to develop. They found out that there's money to be made in development. They know nothing about it. They need somebody to guide them through because there's a lot of pitfalls in this. They, they, they've got money. They don't know what to do with it. A fee developer will take them from putting the land under contract to delivering lots, maybe even selling them. Or you'll work for uh, fee developers really started becoming vogue when builders decided that they needed to self-develop. So they would hire somebody internally that would develop lots for them to keep the cost down. Because developers would come in and you'd buy it, you'd have to buy it for whatever they were selling it for. So if they had an internal guy doing this, and I did this for a few years with one of the larger builders in the area, right? He hired me to develop his land. We'd go out, we'd evaluate land. He'd put it under contract. We'd use his money. He paid me a fee to develop it. I didn't work for him directly. I wasn't an employee. But he he paid me a, a set fee per lot to develop it. And that's, and that's worked pretty yeah. well. So I continue to do that. And so what what attracted you to fee development versus what you were doing before? The engineering? Yeah. Uh, that was getting tired. Yeah. You know, you've been doing it for 40 years. Okay. The rules keep changing, you know, and, and I was, we were getting older. My partner and I were getting older and we'd done it, done this, you know, got that T-shirt and it, it was just getting harder. The city was putting more regulation in. The counties were putting more regulation in. The, everything was getting harder to do. And we just didn't want to do it anymore. We'd just gotten tired. Uh, we've been, we started way back uh, 30-something years ago. We built our engineering business up. Then we sold it. We sold it to a national firm. Then we did three years of indentured service with them. <laughs> and then, then I left. I left a, a day after the three years was up and I was done. Yeah. And got bored. So I said, I called him up and I said, you want to put the band back together, but we're, we're not going to get as big. We're only going to have three or four people. We're only going to work for people we want to work with. So all the deadbeats that we were working with before or all the people that gave us problems, we're not going to work for. Our uh, mission statement was, we don't work for assholes. <laughs> so then if, why do you keep me around as a friend? Laura. <laughs> <laughs> Easy answer. I mean, you knew that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair statement. So we just played at that, and he gave me a commitment. He said, I'll do this for three years. And I said, fine. This was in 14. Okay. So we do this for three years. And then every December, because we started in December, every December we'll get together and we'll go sit down 
and have dinner with, you know, we were a burger and fries kind of outfit. He said, but we're going to go have dinner with napkins and real silverware. <laughs> and we will decide if we want to do this another year. So we, we had our three-year lease on our building and we had one-year renewals. And we told the guys that we're going to do it every year. And we ended up doing that. Another four or five years on that basis. Every December we'd roll in and one December he came in. Well, one, I forget which year it was, but we had had a really hard year. And by that, I mean, we had a lot of work. So we were back. You know, one of our other goals initially was we weren't going to work this hard. We knew how much money we stated, how much money we wanted to make each year. We weren't trying to set the world on fire or anything like this. We were, this was more of a ease into retirement deal. So that's what, that was the plan. And you know how to make God laugh. Mm -hmm. Tell him your plans. Oh, yeah. So instead of doing this, it went, and it went, boom, went way up. And we were back working 60 hours a week. And that was not where I was at. And I went in one day. It was in the summer. I said, you know what? I'm going to Hawaii for three weeks. And I need to really think about what I, what's going to happen. And he said, yeah, I'm afraid that we're both burning out. And so I got back and... It just wasn't the same. So I I had just about burned out, and he was just about burned out. And he said, let's just shut it down. That's fine. Let's just shut it down. So we shut it down. We didn't try to sell it because I knew if we tried to sell it, we'd have to stay involved for three years. And I didn't. I was done, and he was done, or so I thought. So we, we shut it down. We closed the office. We told everybody. We moved all the – we finished the projects we thought we could finish, and we moved everything else out. Everybody was real understanding. And so I was I was done. I wasn't going to do anything. Well, I got the call from this builder. We'd been doing his subdivision work, doing the plans and getting them built for him. And I was doing – Basically, the fee development is part of our fee because that's that's how I grew up. You know, when when you as the engineer and I'm not licensed or anything like that, but when your firm takes a project, you see it to completion. That meant you saw the project on the ground. You don't get that anymore. But I continued to do it through the day we stopped. So I was already doing fee development. I just wasn't getting paid for it. So this builder called up and said, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. And he presented this opportunity. And I just went ahead and took it, mainly because I saw it all from the engineering side. So I I knew almost as much as anybody on, on that side, engineering, construction, the city, the zoning, all the, all the processes you got to go through to get to it, but not the financing part. 
and not the selling part. So did that for three years with this guy and got involved in the, the, the financing part and all the, all the other stuff. So now we've got a complete picture of everything that goes on as far as development. So I've completed my journey and, it, and I left him because again, he was ramping up and I was trying to slow down. So I left him and started doing this for just a couple of guys that do smaller projects. So you're still doing projects just on a smaller level and well, you would think so, but no. I was about to but, say, the reason for my follow-up question is when you say smaller projects and you and I have lots of conversations, it seems like they're a lot bigger than smaller projects. <laughs> yes, they have. <laughs> There's a couple of them that have turned into bigger projects. So much but, for retirement, huh? Well, yeah, so much for retirement. <laughs> but, but the goal back in, gosh, what was it? Uh, 14 mm -hmm. or so was we'll just ride the wave and as soon as the wave crests and starts going down we're out yeah well wave's not crested mm -mm. and so you're sitting there going you've got all this experience you know how to get from A to B so why would you get out now so we're just sitting here going, well, we will continue what we originally said. We will go till the wave crest and then we'll ride it out. But not going to put big money into a deal. That's why I would rather do fee development or consulting with somebody other than development because there's enough chatter around that to suggest that there's less than five years left on this run and we're in uncharted territory now we're in the 12th year of a run-up when we've only had one of those in my 45 plus years of doing this and that's reagan's second term and two clinton terms that was 12 years that we had a big run-up so we're fixing, we are at a point where we have never been before. Usually these things go in cycles. There's a seven-year run-up and a two- to three-year correction, softening, whatever you want to call it, and then another seven-year run-up. So we're in the year 12 going on to year 15. So make your hay while you can because we've missed a whole a whole cycle of downturn so what's what's going to happen when this goes down and do you want to be left with product when the music stops because the goal is to not miss a chair when that stops so that brings me to a really good point. So we're in uncharted territory you've never seen before in 45 years of doing this, surpassing the 12 year, like, man, is this thing going to end? And you and I have these conversations all the time. It's like, even when we think 
there's a light at the end of the tunnel where there's got to be a correction or a softening, it ramps up. So, for yeah. example, and, and and for the audience, the, the, the importance of understanding this is um, we recorded Michael Dyke, Village Homes, and he put it very simply. I, I can build neighborhoods and homes, but if I don't have the dirt to build it on, it's it's useless, right? Right. And finding the dirt is, is I mean, six months ago, you were like, find me 100 acres. And six months later, like, I we came somewhat close on that one, but still there were some conditions around it that just wasn't going to make it a fit. And I was, and it was just like, man, there's just, we can't find anything, anything out there. And, and so 2020 hits, March 2020 hits. Pandemic hits, riots, protests, election year, fires, hurricanes, whole, whole nine yards. And as you know, you know, I sent out my weekly email of like, hey, here's the newest episode of, you know, Winning Strategies Playbook. And then down the email, I have a headline of the week, a book of the week, and a snapshot of the West's DFW marketplace of this is how many units sold in the last seven days. Or the previous week, right? Because drops on Tuesday. So I do it the Wednesday to Tuesday of the week before. And in 2020, even though the world shut down for two to three months, we were 312 units shy of being the record selling year in real estate in West DFW in 2020. 2019 sold 312 more. I mean, you're, you're, and, I, and I track this going back to 2006. So even prior to the bubble popping in 2008, we have this 14 years of history in 2020 just knocks it out. It just knocks it out of the park. And now we're seeing that, you know, Mark Dotzer, as you well know, right? So for the audience, Mark Dotzer, former chief economist of Texas A&M and puts on these spectacular speaking yes. events, talking about real estate and the market and whatnot, had said prior to the pandemic that the DFW Metroplex was expected to grow by a million people from 2020 to 2030. I think that is going to happen by 2026, 2027, because the volume of people coming now is even faster. So now that we're in this uncharted territory with, there's not even anything to buy. I mean, not, not just in dirt to build on, but houses that are available to try to go buy, which naturally no supply, high demand raises the value. What do you think, man? Is this, does this, continue to go on for more and more years? I don't think it's sustainable because right now we are getting prices that I never believed we would ever get for a lot. So you have land prices going up. You have construction costs going up. You have additional requirements placed on you by the city, the county, the state. So we're in, we're in territory. We've changed. We're fixing to sell some lots in a deal that we priced two and a half years ago when we were doing our pro formas that are almost 50% higher now than they were then. Wow. You got the builders on the other hand. I'm sure Michael said something about this. When the pandemic hit in March, Lumber prices and their construction costs jump like 30%. That's settled back down now to where it's only about 10% over. But your labor costs, your all, so your house costs more, your lot costs more, your house costs more. People's income hasn't risen. 
So what's the average cost of a home in DFW? Yeah, I think right now, well, affordable house home, right? No, like average. Just average house. Average house. house. A- average house. I'd say, what, what, what is 375. it? 375. yeah. What's the average couple qualify for? Yeah. 275. Yeah. There's a big disconnect right there. So there's only two ways to affect the price of a home that I'm aware of. The cost of the lot and all the associated costs with that and the size of the house. So you can make the lot smaller. You can make it a typical lot 60 by 120 feet. You can make the lot smaller. You can make it 50 feet wide or 40 feet wide. 50 feet is what the market wants right now. What, what is the number? 50 foot. That's what everybody's asking for. We want a 50 foot lot. Well, try getting zoning for a 50-foot lot anywhere except Fort Worth. Fort Worth's the only community in Tarrant County that allows a a 50-foot lot without there being an alley on it. Now, if you do a 50-foot lot with an alley, what'd you just do? Now, that lot costs more than a 60 for me to build because I've got half an alley on the backside to put up with. And... There very few of the builders have product that are alley served. Nobody likes alleys. The cities love like alleys, but they're the only people that like alleys. Why is that? Crime is part of it because it gives everybody a back door to your yard. Whereas if it's back to back, then you've got to go through somebody's yard. So the city likes having alleys? The city does not like having Front entry garages on 50-foot lots. I don't know that uh, Lycan Alley's might have been a mistake. They don't want the front of the house to be garage. Gotcha. 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 They want rear entry garage. They want want the house to look pretty on a 50-foot lot. Yeah. But the the garbage that you got to go through to get to a 50-foot lot is just, you have in most communities, you have to go to a plan development zoning. Well, that just opens Pandora's box for the city. They start wanting the, you know, extra landscaping and they start wanting to control the house because, you know, we've passed legislation that says the city can't tell you how, how to build your house anymore. Okay. Well, when you do PDs. That, what, um, what is, for the audience, what is a PD? It's a plan development. Okay. They, that opens the door for them to come in and say, well, you know, you got to do this and you got to do this with your house and you got to do roof pitches and you got to do brick and stone and all this other stuff. So, and it complicates things because it just lengthens the process. It, it takes longer to do a plan development than it does to do straight zoning. And it's getting very difficult to even do straight zoning anymore because all the neighbors now are on Facebook and they're on all these platforms and they don't want development because they think it affects their home prices or they think it affects the traffic or the drainage. Those are the big arguments that you get every time. And you'll, you know, you'll go into a zoning meeting at planning plan commission and there'll be 200 people there to fight you. Does it in fact affect those three things you're talking about? Home prices, no. 
But I mean, like on the drainage traffic, and all the, yeah. traffic, yes. Yeah. Drainage, no, because the city requires us to do detention. Almost every city requires detention yeah. now. So detention means that I can't release any more water from my property than goes out there if it was ag, if it was a plowed field. So detention is, uh, drainage is not an argument. Home value is not an argument. If, you're, if you've been in your house for five or 10 years or more, then the product that we're going to build is going to raise your price. Why is that? Because your house was built. If you've been in your house for 10 years, what'd you pay per square foot? Let's say, let's say, okay, let's use an example. Let's say somebody paid 50 bucks a square foot, which we know we're not going to find any houses for 50. No. Math or Marines, right? Because you know how well I right. can't count. So 50 bucks a square foot 10 years ago. And then now right. you're building a new one that's going to sell for? A hundred and a half a okay. foot. Okay. So 150 a foot. So that raises, a rising tide raises all boats. Right. So we increase the value of almost every property. It's not universal. Right. You know, but a lot of times it is. Um, you've got to, you got to be careful with your builder, who you bring in. We don't we're real picky about who will do stuff for. Because again, you don't want to work with assholes. And I imagine well, it's not just the dealing with them, but the type of product. That there's, right, there's right? some production builders that you right. don't want to, that have some lower end product that you just don't want to introduce into a community. Because it doesn't allow the, the value to go up based on what they built. Yeah. Well, they're trying to build affordable housing mm -hmm. and there's a place for that. But it's not every place. Okay. You, you have to, as for what we do, we have to evaluate where we are in the market. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to do express in Highland Park. Mm -hmm. You know? Right. Yeah. You don't want to do some of these other, you, you don't want to go build a, a $200,000 house in a $500,000 area. Right. You want to be compatible or higher. And that's what we try to do. So what does that mean for going back to something I, I, that is really intriguing about this? And um, if the average home price is $375, somebody can only qualify for $275. And let's say the amount of people in that demographic is pretty large. What do they do? Where do they live? Where do they? That's. That's the biggest problem that we're facing right now. That is why you have what would they permit uh, last year in Fort Worth for apartments, seven thousand units. Yeah, and they processed sixty seven hundred single family homes. That's that's what happens. You know, it's really it's really funny. I'm going to look this up on my phone. Is there was actually now uh, I was reading on the Star Telegram a couple of days ago that. The um, city council is talking about a moratorium. Not, yeah, a moratorium for for allowing yeah. not allowing more multifamily. So, so if I'm hearing you correctly, is like we can't build houses to sustain the two hundred and seventy five thousand dollar demographic of what they can qualify for, and we're not building apartments where they can go live. What kind well, of well the the cities have failed to realize, and I I went and talked to one city. They called me down because they wanted to talk about affordable housing and what it would take for them to do a development for affordable housing. 
Mm-hmm. And I told them just what we talked about. We have to build a smaller house and we have to build a smaller lot. And they, they're, they just started a new business park and they've got all these businesses trying to get all these businesses and, and they're going, where are my people going to live? But once the city found out what affordable housing looked like or what it sounded like, they wanted no part of it. They said, we can't, we don't want to do that. Everybody, the mentality of some of these cities is we want to be South Lake South or South Lake East or South Lake West. And you can't support that. Know who you are. You have to know who you are as a city. I did zoning many years ago in, in Burleson. And he said, what, what price range are you shooting for on your houses? And, and at the time, it was $250,000. And I got two negative votes from realtors sitting on the PNZ that said, you can't sell anything more than $160,000 in the city of Burleson. Hmm. Now you can't even find a house for $250,000 in Burleson. (laughs) No, but the cities, they, you have to know what you are. What what is your, what is your base? What if, if you're, if 70% of your community is hardworking people, you can't just flip a switch to become South Lake and do five or six hundred thousand dollars for a house. So with that being said, and people are being priced out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the only thing that's allowing that um, ability to buy a house more than maybe what you qualify for is the very, very low interest rates. Low right? interest rates are helping. Right. Because it's yes. it's really when it comes down to it is is the average listener out there is a lot of times when somebody is buying a house, they're looking at their DTI, debt to income ratio. And in that debt to income ratio, what is the max amount that they can afford on payment? Well, there's a couple of calculations that go into that. It's not just the payment of the, you know, payment of the house itself, but the insurance and taxes, which we know we live in Texas, we don't have a state income tax, but we got pretty high got property pretty high taxes, property. right? And so now you've got this calculation of this is what I can afford, which therefore through the calculations based on the interest rate says this is how high you can buy, right? And right now interest rates are as low as, I mean, ridiculous, right? Basically free. Almost free money. Yes. Right. But what happens when they raise the interest? Because, you know, it's kind of like law of gravity, right? What goes up must come down. Well, what goes down in reverse gravity must come up at some point that when interest rates go up, now now what happens? What happened? What did we learn the last time that we listened to Dozier? Mm -hmm. 4%. Yep. That's as high as it can go. Yeah. So you think interest rates will never go above 4% again? Well, it's a it's a ceiling that's been created by the federal government. Yeah. And I, I don't see them going higher than that. Yeah. But the difference between two and a half and four to a lot of families. It's huge. Yeah. I mean, how, well, it could make a difference of 
$50,000 on a house of what you right. can afford to buy, right? Right. Yeah. Right. So you, we got to be very careful with that. I think that interest rates are going to stay low. Yeah. Now, they may be artificially low. They may have to be squashed, but I don't see them going up. Well, and I think that one of the things that's put increased pressure, too, is – so as we talked about, the Metroplex grown by a million people from 2020 to 2030, and now that's been expedited. It probably happened by 2026 to 2027. Even if you look at the numbers, I, I think in either, was it this week or last week on my weekly email drop, I had put where like Texas and Florida, people are flocking here, right? And mm-hmm. so now people are coming from um, the East Coast and the West Coast, moving here, and they have more money to spend so it's not that they are paying more for the house, although we do see a lot of incidents of that happening. It's mm-hmm. they can qualify for conventional lending and they versus FHA or VA, and they can put fifty hundred thousand dollars down. Which naturally the seller is going, okay. So I've got this great family who's an FHA buyer with an incredible story, but they can only put down three and a half percent. Or I've got this person over here that can put down a hundred or, or put down a hundred grand on this house. Which deal is 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 more secure? Naturally, the one putting more money down. As a matter of fact, one of the trends that we've seen is it's become so hard for people to compete that many of our clients are not winning the deal and multiple offers, but we push them to go do a backup offer. Because during a backup offer, a lot of times you can negotiate that your price as the backup offer is less than what the offer they took, right? So an example is a $300,000 house, someone bid three ten on it, willing to pay title and all these other things. And then our client puts in, gets a backup offer accepted at 300 and the seller still pays title, but they're locked into that second position should the first one terminate. Well, what we're finding is half of those that we did in 2020, our client in second position won the deal. Because the person in first position, because there's a big difference for the audience out there is being pre-qualified, right? Pre-qual versus being, um, oh, what is the word I'm thinking of here is being um, not pre-qual, but um, pre-authorized or whatever, right? So you got one that says anybody can get a pre-qual for anything, right? Check a couple boxes. You can go buy a $310,000 house. Then it turns out when they actually start doing the things to put it together to get the house. Turns out, yeah, they might have been pre-qualified, but oh, pre-authorized. So pre-qual versus pre-authorized are two different things. So they're not pre-authorized. They don't. They either have a jacked-up uh, DTI or whatever that may be, or one person just lost their job like two days into that, or any of these number of things. Where now they don't qualify, they fall out of first position. But the person in backup position, that seller is now obligated to them because it is a contract, right now. They're going to go in and do their inspections and all of that. And sure, naturally, the seller doesn't have to go, well, I'm going to fix anything because now I'm getting $10,000 less from my house than what I thought I was going to get. But as long as it's nothing that's going to prevent the buyer from buying it, that seller is now obligated, right? So we majorly, matter of fact, we have uh, out-of-town clients uh, that referred to us uh, from a great agent uh, um, in in Denver, and they were cash buyer in a house and even with a cash offer, they didn't win. And this house was one of those that had like a bunch of offers and went really quick. We said, do a backup offer because they were like, this is the house that we want. We love this house. And we said, look, you actually now in a backup offer have a better chance at getting the house 
now than you would have ever had before. And sure enough, three days into it, the first one fell apart because of financing. And that's what we're hearing a lot is financing is not following through for that initial buyer where they got it. And they are, they are, they are so happy. They're, they're like, wow. And they didn't have to bid the price up where it was uncomfortable for them to buy. So they got the house for what they were willing to pay, not above that. And they got the house that they wanted. So we're seeing those incidents happen, but it still doesn't solve the issue of what do we do when we run out of places for, for, for people to live closer to inside the city. So they got to, they got to what? They got to move to the tertiary markets, right? Yes. And so, and I know that, you know, just for the audience sake, because that's where you kind of focus on is in those more tertiary markets, right? I don't know. They're more secondary. Secondary? Yeah. yeah. Now they are. Yeah. Cause, well, yeah. they weren't, they weren't five years ago, but now they are. <laughs> yeah. I, I still won't go out to someplace like Godly. Yeah. Even though Godly's exploding. Yeah. It's just, it just seems too far. You know, we're doing one in Joshua, and that's as far as I want to go. Yeah. And I got uh, fixing to start two for a guy in the Azel area. One of them's an infill. But for the audience, what does that mean, infill? It's a, a, it's, this is a vacant piece of land around development. So it's just, it was a skip over track. It just, the guy never wanted to sell it. He wanted to farm it. And houses grew up on all four sides of him. And one day he said, there's houses all around me. I got to get out in the country again. So he's got to move further out. He's, right. oh, yeah. Yeah. He's got to go way far out now. Yeah. And so, we used so, to, yeah. if we were telling somebody, if you want to get out, you go to Godly. Right. If you want to be in the country yeah. or uh, Alito. Yeah. And now you can't tell them that. How far out of a drive now would somebody have to drive to be, quote unquote, in the country? 45 minutes. 45 minutes. Yeah. 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 And then 40. even then, because of all the building going on, it's not just 45 minutes because now it's more dense. You have traffic. Yes. It's really what traffic. hour, hour and a and, half. And yeah. you know, people fell into a trap earlier this year because people were staying at home. So that drive that you were making, if you were making that drive, yeah. is artificially low. So if and when people start going back to offices, traditional offices, then that may get pushed a little bit. But I don't know that that's going to happen. I think, I mean, the number one thing that we look for right now, we used to look for, it's got to be within 10 minutes of a freeway. That was the number one thing that we look for from a property. Can I get to Interstate 35? Can I get to Chisholm Trail within 10 minutes? Now it's, can I get high-speed internet? Because... Location is not as big a driving force as it was. The rules changed in March. The, the rules changed completely, and all the builders are having to react to this because there are companies that there's companies in California that are saying you don't have to ever come back to the office, so you can live wherever you want to. Well, they're moving here because of everything that you just said. 
personal taxes and the cost of homes and the cost of living in California have gotten out of control. Plus, right now they can't do anything. People are flocking to Texas because we're open. We're open for business. So you don't have to drive to work, but you got to have that internet. So that's the, that seems to be the number one thing that we're focusing on right now. So, I can I can do a C location now if I wanted to, as long as I got internet. So, in your mind, knowing what you know and forty five years of experience of doing this, what are those C markets that you project to see that will start to explode? Like just a couple of cities or wherever else. What, what well, you're already see, you already start seeing it in Godly, yeah, and it's places like that. Well, like you said, it, it used to be a C, now it's a B, right? Springtown. Springtown. Springtown might start places like that. I mean, look over in Dallas. Good Lord. Yeah. Uh, our daughter lived in Melissa for a long time, and oh. it was in the country. Yeah, not now. And, you know, I was looking at a deal in Sherman, and you drive up, and, and just in the year or so since that time, the changes that have happened between McKinney and Sherman are just you sitting there going, what in the heck is going on here? Just to give the audience an idea of how far Sherman is from here. We're in downtown Fort Worth. We jumped in our car and drove up there. How long would it take? No traffic, just straight shot. Oh, it's 86, 88 miles from here. Two hour drive. Yeah. And then now that area is part of the DFW Metroplex it, that is exploding. It is quickly becoming, the line's going to blur. Yeah. So when you cross over the river to Oklahoma, if you're coming south, you hit Sherman and you won't know when you hit Dallas because yeah. it'll all be, it's just kind of continuous. Yeah. So what happens? Do we start seeing where as the Metroplex moves further north because they're looking for land to build on companies and what so forth or do we start finding people that are building and living in Oklahoma and it's actually a shorter drive just to drive south than it is to live here and drive north or or what do we what do we start to see there the, for some reason natural growth goes north you look at Burleson yeah what's well, closer you can get to DFW easier from Burleson than you can from Allen. Yeah. So why hasn't why hasn't that area popped up? Yeah. Well, I I, I know why it is. I mean, it's there's no services, but you're talking about down in Burleson. Yeah. 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 Well, an I-35 is a mess, right? W which road isn't a mess? That's true too. Yeah, I so, mean, when TxDOT expands a road, they know that when they complete it, it'll be obsolete. So what does cities like Burleson start to do then, right? I mean, it almost it almost feels like to me is that a city at that point has to really do some infrastructure and growth that when somebody comes home to Burleson, that they don't leave Burleson, only except to go to work, right? Okay. I don't want to bash on Burleson. Yeah. But we're, we're going, we're going to for, <laughs> for a minute. One of the 
we dedicated right away for Chisholm Trail Parkway on a project in Fort Worth 20 years ago. Chisholm Trail Parkway has been on the map for 25 years. It's only been open, what, four? Yeah. Okay. Just completed like four years ago. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not even, maybe not even, maybe four not years. even four. Yeah. So every city has known that path was coming and it was coming. Well, they started on it 10 years ago, you know, acquiring the right of way, relocating infrastructure and all that was in the way of the, of the tollway itself. Wouldn't a forward thinking city? Say, there's a new road coming, and it's going to be a gateway into our city. And we need to plan for that. We need to get infrastructure out there. And honest to God, when Chisholm Trail opened, the city of Burleson goes, wow, there's a road out there. I wonder what we can do with it. They they failed the community because there's there's a the whole west side of Burleson could develop if there was any kind of infrastructure available. They expect the developer to pay for it and then do a reimbursement contract with other other developers or other property owners. Well, you could have done that yourself. So why didn't they? They weren't forward thinking. Yeah. Do you think there maybe was a bit of mentality of like, well, we want to keep Burleson, Burleson? Or what do you, what, there's I, some opinions here. I, I, I feel that. Are, yeah. And I don't think we need to get right. Yeah. And it's okay. I don't, I, I'm, yeah. I'm all for not stepping on landmines. I if mean, we don't want to, but I know there's definitely some opinions there's, there. Well, yeah. Cause 10 years ago, we went to a deal and we talked about this with the city. Mm -hmm. They had a big forum over at the Honda dealership. What are we going to do? What do we need to do? And they invited the development community out there, and they all said the same thing. Guys, you need to get ready for this. There are opportunities here, not just for development, but for the city. This is a way to go in and fix your gateway instead of coming down 35 and going through all the stuff you got to go through. You know what it's like driving down uh -huh. 35 South Fort Worth till you get to Burleson. You can make – you have time – to get ready to say how you want that gateway to look like. And they said, you, yes, that's what we want to do. That's what we're going to do. And for whatever reason, it never happened. It never did it. Or if it happened, it never got implemented. Yeah. So do you think that that is a product of the elected officials or the city workers that are like city manager or so forth. That's not elected official or a combination of both. And you don't have to answer that. Cause I know that's a landmine and I know what you, yeah. you do. So if you don't yeah. want to answer that, I, I you know, who you, you know where direction comes from, from any city. Right. Yeah. Comes from the top down. Yep. And there's several layers of top. Right. And it, it comes from there. So what will this do for, let's say, because the Chisholm trail um, tollway. So for the audience that does that don't understand or know what that means for the, the Metroplex here is it is a toll road that comes from 
literally downtown Fort Worth to a straight shot down to Cleburne, which mm-hmm. historically has been a lower economic, more rural town, um, maybe not the greatest ISD. I think yeah. the number that I heard one time, and I I need to fact check this. This is an assumption, so nobody put any comments of like, you're wrong. But I think it was like at one point, Five or six years ago, 50% of school lunches were government subsidized because of the lower economic demographics down there. Does this create an opening for somewhere like Cleburne? Because these other cities in between are failing to do what they should have probably started 10 years ago, that it maybe opens a door to somewhere like Cleburne? You you would have thought it would. Okay. For Cleburne, it didn't. Okay. Why is that? School district. School district. Yeah. I mean, you can, I can put somebody wherever we want to. Yeah. But it, school districts are what families are looking for. That's why, that's why you're seeing a big jump in Godley. The Godley ISD hired a superintendent down there that is one of the most forward thinking superintendents that I've ever talk to and he's he's on the right path i think as far as directions that public schools are going to take and the fear is that every you know saying that word gets out that this guy's forward thinking that somebody's going to poach him Mm -hmm. you know some bigger school district is going to true but school districts i mean you look at Fort Worth, the Fort Worth ISD is not well thought of, but there's tons of private schools. Yeah. But that's another factor that you got to add into when you're trying to buy a house. Yep. Am I going to put my kid in Fort Worth ISD or am I going to pay 15, 15 grand. grand a kid yeah. to go to one of these private schools? And it's higher than 15. I know that when we got Maggie out of Nolan, I think at that point we were spending about 15 grand. And that wasn't the highest of what some of these, I mean, some of these private high schools now are $20,000, Uh They're college yeah. prices. Cheaper to go to college. Yeah. Cheaper to go to college on yeah. some of them. But if you don't go to private school, you're not going to get into the college. You're not going to get, right? no, you're not going to get into So it's an if and or that. You yes. can't eat your cake and have it too. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, we resisted coming to Fort Worth. We were in Arlington forever. We resisted coming to Fort Worth until we knew that, well, our daughter got recruited for her school, Southwest Christian, yeah. by one by a couple of her friends. But if we had, we wouldn't have moved to Fort Worth if she had had to go to Fort Worth ISD. No question. Yeah. I I wouldn't live in Fort Worth if I had to put one of my kids through Fort Worth ISD. Yeah. That's just me. That's not everybody. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because, uh, as you saw, you know, out out there as you were coming in, trying to avoid seeing any other human being because you didn't want anybody to know you came on my podcast. You'd like to be quiet for the audience. Mark is a private person, doesn't want to be interrupted. And then he has this very close friend named Jeremy Spann, who's just going to drag him into the public eye and probably the only person that could drag you. I think it was just because you wanted me to shut up that you would you actually agree to come do this. But all jokes aside is Michael and I talked about the same very topic. Not here to bash on Fort Worth ISD, but if Fort Worth ISD 
does not do something to change, then people are going to these other markets. So we have a client, as you well know, that we got became went left Burleson and became the superintendent of Boyd because Boyd started looking at this before the pandemic even hit and mm-hmm. said, hey, we would like to see this grow. We're already starting to see some growth, but the thing that's going to attract more growth is better ISD. Yes. So they recruited a top-notch person to come up there and get the ISD turned around. And and so it's almost like this very much balanced financial equation of like, hey, if I'm going to live in Fort Worth, I'm going to put my kid to private school. Even if I have the money, the waiting list might be so long that I can't even get them in there. Right. Right. And so does that mean more private schools will pop up? I don't know. But even if they did, where are they going to put them? Right. Because there's nowhere to build anything. Well, right. and how long? Well, maybe they'll gonna, put them in some of these skyscrapers that are. But getting how ready long to be is it going to take to get them built? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that's everybody comes in. All these builders come in. They say, "I need lots today." Yeah. Well, if you bring me a piece of land today, how long do you think it's going to be before you get a lot? At least two years, right? It's unfortunately, it's longer than that now. Wow, it's between thirty and thirty-six months. If wow. you've got to do if you got to do zoning, yeah, then it's thirty six. Yeah, so you got to go through all the spring damage to get that done. You got to go, go to, and yeah, you got to you've got to establish whether or not it's a viable deal based on today's prices and what you think those prices will be when you deliver them. Not just your sales price, but your construction price. How do you do that? Yeah. So that's just a look at the past, project to the future kind of thing. But I have to make, I have to help you make a decision today for something that's not going to be here for three years. Right. Well, what happens in three years? As we saw in 2020, the world could change. But, well, but we know we got four to five years left. Mm Mm-hmm. So you're going to put all your money out there for three years. Well, where's the market going to be then? Mm-hmm. Is it four years or is it five years? Because once I give you the lot, you still got to build a house. Mm-hmm. You still got to sell it. So if you build 10 houses a year and we do 50 lots, that's five years. Yeah. But so that's one thing that we have to look for. The other thing you got to look for is you're building how many houses a year? Pick a number. Call it 100. Okay. How many lots do I need to get in front of you so that you can do 100 this year, 100 next year, and 100 the year after? Yeah. I got to have 500 lots in front of you in various stages. So the land I'm looking at today is for your third year out. So if you're looking for lots today, you are two to three years behind. Well, and let's throw let's throw another little hand grenade into but this you, situation. You want another hand grenade? Yeah. COVID. Yeah. Almost every project that was not under construction when the lockdown started stopped. Okay, we can't make those days up. 
it's not like a house. When you frame a house and you put a roof on it, you can continue working on that house. You might not be able to brick it and paint it like Michael does, Mm -hmm. but you can finish it. You can sheetrock it. You can do all the inside stuff until it dries up, and then you can work on the outside. Well, I the stuff we do, we have calendars. PNZ only meets once or twice a month. What is PNZ? Planning and zoning. Okay. City council only meets once or twice a month. If you got to do zoning, you've got to do public hearings. Well, that that requires notifications, anywhere from fourteen to thirty days, to where the city publishes notice. They have to notify everybody within 200 feet of your property. Mm-hmm. And they have to put notices in the paper and on the internet. Those, those dates don't start till you start. So if you pause something, that date still hadn't started. You can't start engineering something till you know you have something to engineer. Yeah. Because inevitably the city will stick their fingers in there and can we do this or could we do that or something? So you can't start engineering it. Yeah. It now takes four to six months to get the plans done. Whereas we would crank out a set of plans in in four to six weeks. It takes four to six months. Then you got the approval by the city. Well, the legislature came in this last time and gave them a shot clock. You got 30 days. So our first review now, instead of taking six weeks, only takes 30 days. And you only get one bite at the apple. So you only get one review. It may take three submittals to get it approved based on that one review. But you can't just keep coming back and back. But that that process is 90 days. Then you got to bid it. That takes 30 days. And then all the other construction. So you're at you're three years before you know what happened. So with hearing all of this knowledge that you are blessing us with right now. Sure. And no, and I and I and I'm and I'm very candid about this is because I go back to you kind of evaluate year by year whether or not you're going to continue to do this. But one of the things that I have a fear of is how many people like you do we have that understand the three-armed green gorilla? And what happens if you guys decide to retire? How many people do we have left with the amount of knowledge that you have, people like you have, to be able to continue moving this thing forward? Oh, there's always somebody that will come up. Yeah. But will they be able to do it the right way? Well, what's the right way? Yeah, true. The current way is the right way. Right. You know. But having I have that experience, to, right? I have to swallow my tongue more <laughs> because, you you know, you, the first thing you want to do is, that's not how we did it. Yeah. Get off my lawn. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, you just can't do that anymore. Yeah. These, these engineers, they don't think like we thought. They don't do things like we did. You know, I have to do more of the upfront stuff than what we asked our developers to do in in the old days. Why is that? Why I mean what's what's going on there? Technology. They just think that they can get on Google Earth and DFW maps 
and look at everything, they they don't leave the office. Mm-hmm. Well, if you brought me a hundred acres or whatever, when when we were engineers, I would get in the truck and I would go out and look at it. I would look at every way to get there that you could get to see if you were at the right location. I would physically get on the property and look at it because you you have to do what the land tells you to do. You can't just look at a bunch of stuff and and decide this is where this needs to go and this is what. The land will tell you what it wants to be done. You'll see things that you don't see. I I had a guy call me up and he was in construction on a project. And they had a channel on the south property line. And he called me up and he said, I'm having a problem. On the south property line, two feet outside his property was a power line. No, I'm sorry. Two feet inside his property was a power line. Well, the slope of the ditch was going to mean the power line had to be redone. Wasn't in the cost because the engineer didn't pick it up. But more importantly, there were water line markers for a 36-inch transmission line for one of the water companies, a private water company, that, you know, you you can't mess with. So he had engineered the plans, had them approved, and started construction and found an oops. All of which could have been avoided had someone been in the truck and driven around the property and noticed it because they're obvious. You know, when you go out and you see a piece of land that's full of trees Mm -hmm. and you see a strip that doesn't have trees. And the detectives always say, call that a clue. (laughs) It's straight. You know, it's not just meandering back and forth. It's a straight freaking line. You go, that's a clue. Yeah. What, what, what's in that? I need to know what's in that before we start anything. And his project ended up stopping. He was paving. He was paving his street. So he had the maximum amount of money out that Mm. he could have out. And we fiddle farted around with that thing for another six months trying to fix it. Wow. If you get in the truck and you look, you don't, you, you don't make those mistakes. You know, it's funny you say that is, um, well, you know, we've evolved our processes with clients and now we put them through a process, you know, with the culture index to introduce them to the team on the zoom, finding out what areas that they're coming in, especially out of town clients. We tell them, look, if you're going to come in town for four days to look at houses, what we recommend is day one and day two, you drive it before we even jump in the car with you, right? Mm-hmm. We're not trying to take anything away. And, and, and in the beginning, it was, well, y'all just don't want to do the effort. We were like, no, we just don't want to waste your time or you waste our time. Because while a picture tells a thousand words, it also tells a thousand lies, mm-hmm. right? And just because you Googled 
what the traffic may be and the patterns and all that, that's not going to matter because when you drive it, you're going to be like, oh, wow, look at that big power line over here. So as they're sending us, these are the houses we're interested in. We go, go drive these first. Well, one, we try to go ahead and eliminate them as fast as we can to go. You're probably not going to be interested in this because resale value, this one backs up railroad tracks, power lines, landfill, whatever the issues may be. And then it's like, you need to go drive these because naturally when somebody's going to look at a house, 80% of the houses they go look at, they already know they're not interested the second they drive up to it. Right. So we're trying to keep them focused. And that's what, and, 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 and so we tell them, we're like, go drive these because you're going to eliminate a lot of these, but you're also going to get to know the area. And when you know the area, you're going to learn if that area is a fit for you or not. And what we don't want you to do is have the perception of we're just trying to make you go do the work. What we're trying to do is get you to disqualify the things that are not going to be interested so we can stay focused on the ones you are interested in. Because if you're interested in it, so is other people. And we need to be able to execute better and faster and stronger than the competition out there or go, okay, our plan now is if we don't get it on the first bid, we're going to get it on the backup offer because you have a 50-50 chance of still winning the deal, even if you're in backup offer. So, but there was this perception prior to the pandemic that like, oh, well, you just don't want it. You just don't want to do the work. And we were like, no, we couldn't get people to get that. And then all of a sudden it took a pandemic for people to go, oh, okay, well, this makes sense. We're like, yeah, let's disqualify the things that you know you're not going to want so we can focus on the ones that you do want. Mm -hmm. And that way we can come up with a strategy and an effective plan to win those deals for you. So now we've got people that are actually listening to us and going, okay. Out of these 10 houses, let's eliminate these four from even going to look at before we even get to town. And out of these six, I'm going to go drive them. And you know what we usually get down to? About two. Yeah. And it's like, look, can you imagine? And oh, by the way, by the way those two already have offers coming in. Had we gone in there and driven all 10 of these, usually you would have missed out on either one of those two. So we're back to the drawing board of getting another 10 houses to go look at and so forth and so forth. Mm -hmm. So we were able to deliver a better service to people by going, don't just rely on Google Maps. You have to physically drive this. Unless you're going to be a hermit that is going to buy a house and never leave that house, that's a different than if you got to go drive to the store, drive to work, drive to school, which brings me back to a hand grenade I was going to throw out there is this. How does all this change now in a post-pandemic world where schools are going to change, right? Kids are now learning on Zoom. Does that continue? Do they go back to the classroom? Does the education system evolve and, and come a hybrid? Or do they have to restructure the classrooms? Because a friend of mine, Ricky's house, grew up with them my entire life. Friends since second grade. We enlisted in the Marine Corps together. He is a retired police officer teaching high school. And he said, man, we already knew these kids learn different, but we're in an antiquated environment that's not allowing us to teach them the way that they prefer to learn based on technology. So what the right. pandemic did was go, we better start changing to accommodate this or people are just going to go, well, I'll just homeschool my kid because now I've got a widget on the internet that's going to allow me to deliver better value than the actual classroom. So then does that change the geographics of where somebody is willing to live because they're going to do it online anyways? Well, I don't think it's going to be online. I, uh, you, last night on the news, I saw Joshua ISD is bringing every one of their kids back to school. They were 
remote in the uh, first part of the fall. Mm-hmm. They said their scores, that their kids have fallen behind. There's a lot of reasons why they could fall behind, but there's something about kids in a classroom with a teacher. Now, is it going to be a traditional classroom? I don't think it's going to be that. Yeah. But go back to what Godly does. They don't have structured classrooms in their high school. They're their their classrooms have two glass most of them have two a couple of glass walls to where they can just open them up if it's enough they have patios so if you want to take your class outside to the patio you can take your class outside there are bar stools and rails there are beanbag chairs there's just no structure whatsoever so they have really you can combine classes just by opening up your glass doors. So if if I'm a better uh, trigonometry teacher than you are, and we're both on pace, I can teach both classes my strength. You can have it when it's your strength. So it's going to change. It needs to change. It needs to evolve. But it's not going to. It's like the, you know, you don't have one-room schools anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's going to have to change. Yeah. What that change looks like is going to be interesting to see. But I don't think relying solely on remote is going to work. There are too many there are too many kids that don't have the discipline to do it and they're you know mom and dad are both working. So we're who's in charge? Right. Where's where's the oversight coming from? You don't get it from Zoom. Yeah. My granddaughter goes to a nice public school in the north part of town. They were remote for the first two weeks. Her teacher came on the Zoom call the very first day. I don't know how to do remote learning. Here's the stuff. I'll see you. Click. Wow. Being paid. Yeah. What'd she do? She didn't do anything. Yeah. And I know that for every one of those situations, there's somebody that's doing something terrific with it. Right. But the terrific guy's doing great and they should be applauded and everything. But you left 30 kids behind. Yep. In one, one class. So you do that times eight. Every day, it's unacceptable. Yeah. And we can't do that. And until you show me how we can keep the kids engaged at home on Zoom, then you can talk to me. Yeah. But until then, no. But there's so much going on with school now. I mean, they're all on their phones all the time. It's just... Well, even with Maggie in college, right? I mean, here it was, is I wanted her to have the traditional college experience. She had a great first semester, enters her second semester, bam, COVID happens. Mm -hmm. She's reinserted back into the, the, and then now, sophomore, fall semester, 
and things things aren't you know and then i'm sitting there knowing the check that i write each semester and i'm going really really yeah like yeah like like well, something's got to give so universities isds private schools everybody's going to have to figure out something of how to deliver that value because i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lie i know the size of check that i write each semester and i'm going why, what why, am I why, getting? Why, why, what am I getting out of this? What am, right? what, yeah. Why we, am I paying for this? Yeah. Right. And I'll just what I'll do is I'll pay for a high end subscription to Khan Academy. She can learn on there. Right. Well, yeah. I, I mean, are is she going to be as prepared as she should be when she gets that degree? Or are we just doing a pass along? Yeah. And and it, I, I man, let me tell you, and I know that we we got to be careful, or else we'll be here for six hours talking about the subject. Is when I sent my daughter to college, I said, listen. You don't have to pick where you're going to be one day because it could be like me. You could be four things by the time you hit almost 50. Right. But I want you to learn how to learn. Mm-hmm. That's what I got out of college. I tell people, I'm like, yeah, now I got to go to TCU for my undergrad. And I went there for, went to TCU for my MBA. I got a great education, been incredibly successful. But what I got out of my undergrad was learning how to learn. I, yes. I learned how to learn. Right. Yes. And I got a pretty good brand stamp behind it. I had great professors I had smaller classrooms. I, mean, I was really blessed. Right. I really mm-hmm. had a lot of great things, but I learned how to learn. Now I'm spending over 50 grand a year for my daughter to sit in her apartment and she's not learning how to learn because I could see the results. And I'm like, well, what? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, you know, we they've got to figure out something of what to do. And I get it. The world was not prepared no. for this to land, but you can't sit back and then you throw in, and I'll be real careful on this one, is you've got politicians that are sitting there going, well, we're shutting things down and you can't go and you can't go do this. So here it is, these ISDs in private schools and universities and whatnot, I really feel for them because it's like, well, what do we do? I mean, we can't, we can't do what we've done. We don't know how to do this different. You're putting restrictions on us. So you've got these politicians who are elected officials that have an opinion, but, you know, especially career politicians, right? You've yes. made your living and your fortune off of being in government, but you know better than everybody else, right? Right. Then, oh, don't get me started. Oh, oh, yeah. But what I'll use as an example, right? And I'm not saying I'm a fan of this guy. I'm not saying I'm not a fan of this guy. But take Elon Musk, right? Mm-hmm. Here's a guy who's a disruptor that is now giving NASA a ride to the space station, right? So how do we find people that are entrepreneurs that can get inserted in the process to say, hey, I am looking to hire people with these types of skill sets, which they are not learning in your classrooms, be it elementary school all the way through a university, to be able to accommodate the things that I want to be able to go do. Right. So you're making the hiring process even. Oh, yeah. I got to be real careful here because we'll, I, yes. I open up that bag yes. of worms and well, it's going to be and, But with school systems, you're asking them, you're asking the aircraft carrier to turn on a dime. Right. And they just don't know how to do it. Right. They, they're so ingrained in their institutional processes. Yeah. And their governmental processes that they just can't do it. Yeah. That's why the private sector always reacts first fastest and best Mm -hmm. they always play catch up and they're always following the private schools will turn faster yeah because they they're nimble they know how to do it yeah 
and they've got smart people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Going back, all right, so you've, you've done quite a bit in your short life. So I don't want the audience to know that you're like 180 years old here. Uh, if you could go back <laughs> to 20-year-old self and talk to 20-year-olds with everything that you've been through, the successes, the failures, the brain damage, the frustrations, the wins, the everything, and you had to talk to 20-year-old self. What is the one thing, and I know there's probably a gajillion things we'd all say to 20-year-old self. What is the one thing you would say to 20-year-old self? Either do this or don't do this, but if you're not going to listen to anything else, just listen to this one thing. Well, there's there's two that come immediately to mind. Okay. One is to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> listen, Listen more an incredible amount of wisdom and opportunity were placed in front of me. And I don't know if I heard it all, but not just word, but just from parents, friends, acquaintance, whatever, just, you know, you go back to that saying, I got two ears and one mouth. So what should my ratio to listening to talking be? And just listen. It's amazing how many things you can hear if you just do that. I think that's something we definitely lack in this present day world is people listening more than talking too. Yeah. Everybody wants to hear themselves talk. Yeah. Now. And we should be listening. We had a great opportunity that was put in front of us. Had we not been listening, we would have missed it. And it didn't have anything to do with development, didn't have anything to do with engineering, but it probably made us the most money that we've ever made. All because we, we listened. But that would be the, the number one. Second thing would just be uh, be more patient. Mm-hmm. Don't be reactive. Just try to try to slow down. So I was a hothead when I was younger. What? No, say it ain't so. I, I was. I had it. <laughs> oh my god! It was it was terrible. It was detrimental. You know, I I've recorded over 20 episodes prior to doing this next set of series here and asking that question. I'm always fascinated by how I keep getting a different answer. Every time I ask that question to everybody that sits in your chair, Mm -hmm. which has really been amazing to watch and, and be a part of, I think we could make a series based on what would you tell 20 year old self just off the clips that we have from folks. And all joking aside, I mean, you, you and Sarah just incredibly close friends for for, mm-hmm. for Laura and I, and and that was that was the one of the things that I was just really fascinated. Is like, aside from when I'm being a smart aleck or out doing challenges and stuff, is when you start talking about development and land development and everything else, it's probably the one time that I am quietest, <laughs> you know, because you have such a wealth of information 
that again, that's one of my that's one of my my big fears is that there's people certainly will go do things different, but you the the term experience is really the definition of how many things we screwed up to learn not yes. how to do it that way, right? Yes. And so when someone with five decades of experience like yourself, five decades, I'm gonna say that five decades of experience, such as yourself. Yeah, I did that to get a reaction out of you, and I see your eyes rolling. Um, it's not it, quite that. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, four and a half decades, close enough, is is what happens when we lose that experience because it doesn't matter what technology does. You still have to have that level of experience, like going back to go out there and drive it and then realize you have a straight path going down something right between the trees in the detective's office. They call that a clue. And if you don't do something, it is going to cost more money down the road for, you know, for, for that developer or, you know, whatever's going on there. Right. And, and so, you know, there is a generation of folks that I, that I hope would want to reach out and find folks like yourself to go, Hey, what do I need to know that I don't know already that you spent four and a half decades of brain damage learning that could help me be better at what we're going to go do? And even then, you know, compiling that with a technology component to deliver a better end user product, right? Mm -hmm. So I know you don't want to put anything out there about you or anything else, but what I will tell the audience is this. If you're a young individual out there, and you want to get into Mark's industry, reach out to me. I'll send you a call link. We'll jump on a call and see if, uh, and then I'll reach out to Mark and see if he would be willing to uh, have a conversation with the same person or persons that reach out to us to be able to get some experience and be able to go do this because I do think that the need for us to have better development moving forward with the amount of migration that is coming here to the Metroplex is going to be something absolutely that we do need moving forward. So for the audience out there, just reach out to me, go to myexperiencerealtor.com. You can click, scroll down to the bottom of the page. It'll have a call me link. Even if I don't answer, it leaves me a voicemail where it'll transcribe it in an email and I can call you right back. And then we'll see if you're a potential fit to talk with Mark for going on and developing landmark. Thank you very much sure, for buddy. coming on. Uh, you did great. You actually did more of the talking than I did. And I'm going to brag about that at our next competitive event, whatever we decide to go do next. Yeah. Yeah. Which you will lose at. No. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on, brother. I appreciate right. it. <laughs> hey, you did great, man. Yeah. You did. No, no, no.